Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. All right, so let me introduce to you our um, uh, panelists this morning. Uh, I think this is going to be a great panel and a really good uh, mix of panelists. First, uh, directly to my right is Trillia Newbell. So Trillia is Director of Community Outreach for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention. She is a nationally acclaimed author. She's uh, published several books. Uh, One that I'll mention this morning at the beginning of, of our time together is entitled United, Captured by God's Vision for Diversity, published in 2014. She has been featured at a number of national outlets, including Christianity Today, the Gospel Coalition, and Desiring God. Uh, She is a speaker at national conferences, such as the Gospel Coalition Women's Conference. Uh, Last year, she was invited to speak at the Nerve Center of the Theological Universe, and that is uh, Southeastern Baptist (laughs) Theological Seminary. Uh, She is married to Thurn, with whom she has two children. So, Trillia, welcome. Thank you. Uh, next, we have Amber Lehman, who I've uh, been friends with Amber for almost two decades now. Uh, she is the Senior Director of Development at Human Coalition, which is devoted to rescuing children and serving families. And their vision and their dream and their prayer is that abortion in our nation will become unthinkable and unavailable. Uh, for a decade prior to that, she served as a CEO of First Choice Pregnancy Solutions. She also serves as an executive advisor and executive coach at Internal Innovations. She's an alumnus of Southeastern. Um, I think a great model of what we hope our our students uh, will turn out to be and do. She uh, earned a Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies and the History of Ideas at the College at Southeastern and is working on a Master of Arts in Christian Ethics in the seminary. Welcome, Amber. Thanks, Bruce. Good to have you. Mm -hmm. And then finally, Stephen Wade, a friend of mine for over 20 years. It's been a long time. And he is the pastor of Poplar Spring Baptist Church in Zebulon, North Carolina. He's also a professor of pastoral theology here at Southeastern. He is a popular classroom instructor, but is also uh, well-known and respected as a preacher and as a pastoral counselor. Welcome, Stephen. So um, let's begin by talking about Trillia and Amber, by talking about your personal stories in relation to the sanctity of unborn life. And I'll begin with you, Trillia. Part of your story that you've mentioned in talks before is that you were once pro-choice and now you're pro-life. So what changed your mind? Sure. Yeah. I mean, in short, Jesus <laughs> sums it up. Good, good he, has a way of doing that. <laughs> he has a way of doing that, changing hearts. But I, um, <clears throat> I was pretty adamantly pro-choice. And I wasn't just pro-choice. I didn't think men had any rights to speak into the lives of the pregnancy in any way, shape, or form. So I was pretty extreme in that. And a young girl shared the gospel with me. And when she shared the gospel with me, um, it wasn't just, oh, okay, so I'm forgiven of sins. The Lord transformed all of my thoughts about life and my worldview. and, and, um, And so it took time opening up his word and reading in his scriptures, Genesis 1, and as you just read, um, Psalm 139, and, and reading this, that God created me, and he knit me together in my mother's womb, and it, it brought life to it. Like I, I am a created person mm-hmm. by God, and so therefore, if I am, so are all these babies that I thought were just in Petri dishes. I really, I thought, I just thought they were <clears throat> dispensable, and so God transformed my thinking through his word, and then by his spirit, and and so now I, um, yeah, I have just a different, different view and understanding, which I believe is a biblical view and understanding of life and where it begins and, um, and that we are, we are God's and his creation. And so by the mercy and grace of God, he mm. saved me and then changed my thinking. That's well. amazing. And we'll talk a little bit later uh, that Trillia has edited a book entitled Women uh, on Life. Is that yes. what it is? Women on Life, which is a whole life pro-life ethic. Yeah. So uh, we're thankful to God for your story. Thank you. Amber, you have a, a similar story, but unique in its own way. You were once pro-choice and are now pro-life. Would you uh, talk to us a little bit about that? From my colorful story. 
Um, yeah, so I took a pregnancy test when I was 15. It was positive. I was the mother of a single mom who barely kept the, the lights on for us and was working you know, two and three jobs, and so I just didn't see a way that I could bring a baby into that. And so just after my 16th birthday, I walked through the abortion clinic doors and took the life of a child. And um, in that process, I, uh, I came home. I was basically dropped off by my mom. She had to go to work. She couldn't go with me. Nobody else was there to go with me. Um, my boyfriend's mom picked me up, dropped me off at home with my prescriptions. And, and I remember very distinctly laying on my couch and thinking, this feels really bad. And I chose to not feel it anymore. And that was the first conscious hardening of my heart. And uh, so I got up the next day, went on with life, went on as a party girl, you know, carried on. Uh, didn't think about it, didn't feel it, did, I just chose to not feel. And uh, eight years later, the Lord got a hold of me in a very dramatic way. And uh, in a December of 1998, and in January at Sanctity of Life Sunday time, my eyes were open to see that I had not terminated a pregnancy I had not removed the products of conception, but I had taken the life of a human being. Mm. And I was undone by that. And, uh, and my pastor sweetly, sweetly, well, when I showed up on his door weeping, I didn't, he didn't have much yeah. choice but to <laughs> take care of me a little bit. But um, very, very busy 1,600-person per, uh, church pastor, and he sat with me for a couple hours, and he just walked me through the beginning of what would be my healing process. And like God does, uh, a year and a half later, I was at Southeastern in a bit of a culture shock and studying the Bible. Yeah. Very intently. Yeah. So, you know, there's no doubt, you know, in a room as big as this and with people live streaming, there are going to be a number of folks who, you know, young ladies who have chosen to have an abortion or who are considering that or people who, you know, men or women who have, who have helped to make that decision. What would you say to them right now? Just oh, in terms there's of such God's healing and freedom. And, you know, one in four women in the local church, we assume there's a man for every one of those, um, have... Uh, have chosen abortion at some time. Um, it's estimated that 43% of American women will have an abortion uh, by the time during their fertile years. And so, um, so we have a mission field for one in our backyard of people who are hurting. Uh, they're hurting in the decision. They're hurting after the decision. And, uh, and there's hope. There's just hope. There's healing. There's freedom. Um, come out of the dark crevices. Find somebody who's safe and just start talking about it. Nobody talks about abortion. Uh, nobody comes comes up forward and says, you know, hey, I, I killed, I, I took the life of my child. Right, I, people right. just don't talk about it. And so everybody thinks they're sitting alone in that pew and one in four are sitting there next to you. Mm. Yeah, so you're not alone. Right. Come, come, out of the, come out of the crevices and find freedom. Okay, so sitting alone in the pew, maybe, maybe if, if the numbers translate to our churches, 43%. But anyway, a, a pretty good percentage of uh, women and men in our churches are dealing with an abortion in the past or considering one or will consider one in the future. Dr. Wade, Stephen, uh, you're a pastor. You've been a pastor for 15 years or more? 18. 18 years. Um, how well do you think our churches are dealing with uh, the sanctity of human life? How well are we teaching on it? And how well are we ministering to people who are in crisis or who will be in crisis in the future? <clears throat> It's a bit of a tricky question to address, right? I mean, there are some churches that are, are doing well with this. So let me speak to the general evangelical church and uh, specifically Southern Baptist churches. And I think that we would have, if we were to give our churches a grade on how we deal with this issue, it would have to be poor to failing uh, for a couple of reasons. And Amber brought one of them up is no one talks about it. Um, praise the Lord for Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. But unfortunately, that's about the only time you hear about this issue in the church. And uh, so I, I want to diminish that we actually say some things about it one Sunday a year. Uh, but I do want to say that it, it's such a broader issue. I mean, you've even heard in two testimonies here uh, that the church needs to be thinking about this, not just from a political standpoint. So if I were to say that the church has done anything uh, and I, I hesitate to say well here, but the, the one thing that we are willing to speak about here is the political nature of this issue. Uh, when it gets to the real-life stories, we are very weak on this. And uh, I can't help but to think, and, and this is not original with me, but there are a lot of folks that are writing, encouraging 
pastors and churches to address this issue, and they bring up the fact that in the, the early to mid-20th century, the German church knew what was happening with the Jews was wrong, but they were silent. Mm. The American church knew what was happening with African Americans in the mid to late part of the 20th century is wrong, but we were by and large silent. doesn't mean there were po- not pockets of help, but by and large we were silent. We know this is wrong, right? So there's no, uh, John Piper wrote an article that says, we know what we're doing, right? We are killing unborn human babies, and we know what we're doing, and there's culpability there. And so the church, we must respond to that. So I would have to, just to answer the question, I would say, you know, we're really poor on that. If, yep. if the numbers are right, and I'll throw the number in there, 58 million abortions in this nation since Roe v. Wade. You just heard Amber say, in our church pews, don't let this number go over your head without letting it sink in. One in four women. One in four. And then the national average is 43%. If that does translate into our churches then this is not something we cannot address because it is something we're being silent on. Yeah. Uh, can I, so, do I have just a yeah, moment yeah, to say sure. ministering then? Yeah. I know I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet in just a moment. No, I was going to so ask then, you, how, do, how, are how, we do, doing how do you build this into the life of your church? I mean, what is sort of the pattern uh, for you as a pastor? Sure. Um, let me just say the negative part of that okay. first. Unfortunately, most of our churches, our, the way that we minister is it begins and ends with what Amber used to do. And I praise the Lord for our crisis pregnancy centers. But the extent of most churches uh, addressing abortion is, let me connect you with a a crisis pregnancy center. And uh, so praise the Lord for the work of that, right? I mean, we want to, to say, let's support that. Let's be a part of that as a church. But there are times when you have an Amber who shows up on your doorstep. Uh, I'll never forget sitting at our dining room table, the first time that I had a couple sit in front of us and uh, they had a a pregnancy that they were, I think at this time, three months in, doctors had just told them, there is no way that this baby will be viable if you go to full term. The husband is listening to the doctors and saying, we need to abort this pregnancy. The wife is saying, that's a life, I can't do it. And they're sitting in front of us saying, tell us. You know, I'm a young 25-year-old pastor at the time, and I think, Lord, you're going to have to give me some wisdom here. And that's when you know what the Bible says. Now you have to speak compassionately with conviction into the lives of a couple in your church. And uh, just to pull that story to the end, they took the baby full term, had 21 minutes with their child, Hannah Grace, the day after Thanksgiving, and would not trade that time for anything in the world. Uh, just mom and dad. And so we cried with them. It wasn't a once, hey, we sat at the pastor's table and it was all done. It was, we sat in a counseling room or at our table or their table a dozen times over this pregnancy. Are we doing the right thing? What do we need to do? How are we going to get through this? And then after uh, the baby's life. So first thing, realize that it's real in your churches. Do not ignore it. Do not be silent on it. Uh, Two words that have come to me as I've just prepared for this. We must speak with conviction and clarity. We must speak with comfort and compassion. You have to have that in balance. Grace and truth. That's that's the balance of our Lord. Yeah, so, you know, how do you build it? I'm just practically, we've got um, a number of students who are preparing to be pastors, and they might be the primary preaching and teaching pastors. How do you build this into your preaching uh, if you're an expository preacher? When does this sort of issue come up? Do you, do you recommend teaching sessions outside of Sunday morning? Um, sure. And how do you coach pastors to handle this in the counseling room? Sure. Uh, so we deal with pro-life month in January. So do some things other than mentioning it on Sunday morning around that. In your preaching, the, the Word of God speaks of the dignity of human life quite often. So whether it's in Exodus where we say uh, the Lord is forbidding the shedding of innocent blood... In your application, you must not just leave that statement alone. Bring it to our culture. Bring it to where we live. 
when uh, Proverbs 31, 8 speaks of speaking up for the innocent, those who can't speak up for themselves, then we need to apply the text in ways that we see our culture is living. We cannot ignore the evil in our culture and our applications, which also makes it important. Uh, Bruce, as I was also thinking about this, you guys are going to be going to uh, a myriad of different cultures and even within, let's just say North Carolina, if we were just to take our state, I pastor a church about 18 miles east of here that is rural. We are, by and large, pro-life. If you pastor a church 20 miles from me in uh, the urban part of Raleigh, you're not preaching to people that are primarily pro-life, most likely. So you have to know your audience. Sometimes we have to lean on the truth conviction side in what we say and how we apply the text when we're preaching. Sometimes we need to lean on the grace, but you can never leave one out. They must both be there in balance. So Amber, let me follow up on that truth yeah. and grace. So uh, the same question I asked Stephen, you know, how, how well are our, our evangelical and Baptist churches, in your opinion, how well are we doing in the truth element, teaching about a whole life, pro-life ethic? Uh, and how well are we doing creating an atmosphere of grace? Because, you know, if we're, if we're emphasizing the truth that, uh, that, that life matters to God, you've got people there who are going to take your words and think that you're saying you're condemned. You took the life of a child go away. You, you're, we don't want any, any part of you here, and that's going to be the feel. How do we work against that? Well, first I'll say that it's a very hard balance to strike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just is, and, it, and it's going to be. And I think I want to give um, the church credit and, and just kind of, I guess, an excuse, not a pass, but an excuse, is that I think it's a little paralyzing because I think pastors want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know how to speak on it well or they don't know what to do when she shows up and so they don't do anything at all and so um you know i've been to a lot of churches i would say that um how are we doing um well i'll tell you that that our team um chased churches all year long for a three-minute announcement you know i I mean that's that's the reality of it um the time and energy that the pro-life movement is putting into trying to get churches to not just say, go to your pregnancy center, but to equip their people, um, not just in this issue. I think it's in all issues. So I'll, I'll, I'll skip forward to how do you create that atmosphere of ministry and grace? Well, I think the Bible tells us that they will, they will know us by how we love one another. Are you serving one another? Are you open to one another's um, confessions? Are you a safe place for people to share their daily struggle much less that they've done what would be perceived in the church as the unforgivable of getting pregnant. It's not the unforgivable of getting pregnant. Um, you know, in our youth groups, we tell people, you know, don't get pregnant. It'll ruin your life. Babies don't ruin your life. They don't ruin your life. Stop saying that, right? I mean, we see women who walk in and they're 16 years old and, and they courageously choose life. And you fast forward 10 years and they're, they've completed school and they would say that that child is the reason that they stopped thinking about themselves and got themselves together. And the people who are um, thriving the most are the ones where we've been able to connect them with a small group from a church um, where they have come around them. I mean, there's one girl um, that just stands out, um, Sarah, and, um, you know, she she was at college. Her mom was like, we need to go talk to her. She's pregnant. Anyway, long story short, we ended up paying a bunch of bills for her as an organization, and a family, a young family, and a newlywed broke couple call her and say, you can live with us. No matter what you choose, you can live with us. And so they lived in a hole of an apartment and took this girl in. So you do not have to be wealthy to do ministry. I think we all know that here anyway. But um, (laughs) you excel in not being wealthy, don't you? Um, So so you can walk with her. And there was a small group, and they they met at their house. uh, Anyway, they would all come together, and they would watch Lost. And so she would come out of her bedroom, and she was willing to watch Lost with them. And then they just ministered to her, and they met needs for her, and they walked with her. And when eventually when her car you know, blew up on the side of the road, that's who she called. It wasn't the pregnancy center anymore. Mm-hmm. It was the community that came around her and loved her. Now she's married. They've had another kid. They sing in the worship team. And she was a hostile atheist when she walked through our doors. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, it's just love each other, like be safe places, bring people mm. back to the cross, bring people back to reality. We're, we're all ugly inside. Yeah. Don't, don't act like you're not ugly inside. That's mm-hmm. good. If you don't act like you're ugly inside, like, like if That's you right. act like you're not, then nobody's going to come to you and share. So be that person at work, at church, that even the person that disagrees with you knows that you care knows that you're going to respect them and knows that you're a safe place, whether that's pondering things of the gospel or with a crisis like this. So, you know, you, you were a CEO of First Choice for 10 years. So can you talk to us a little bit? I mean, I'm calling an audible here a little bit about, you know, you've probably been able to help some young women see that they need to carry a child through, mm-hmm. and then other women have not been persuaded probably. Sure. Can you talk to that a little bit about how you handle each of those? Yeah, um, about 50% choose life, 50% don't, and that's out of the, um, the category of women we would consider abortion determined. They're already made up their mind, or they're undecided and strongly considering abortion. And so 50-ish percent, give or take a few percentage points, um, will choose life, the other half not. Um, yeah, everyone is different. You know, it's but what do you say to somebody who, you know, you, you've begun counseling them and uh, they say, you know, we're just you haven't convinced us we're going to follow through and abort a baby. Do you have any counsel on just and those might be the last words you get to say to them. Maybe they're not come around anymore. What do you say? Yeah, it's interesting. We've had um, the approach that we take in our in our clinic is is very neutral. Um, you know, for them to walk through our doors, we have to give them a neutral experience. And throughout that neutral experience, we're presenting resources to them and options to them and, and care to them, um, practical support to them. So, you know, they're stressed out because they can't pay a bill. We'll pay, we'll pay a bill. You know, let's, let's remove those immediate obstacles for her so that she can start thinking about something long-term. We walk her through um, what's called a decision guide. So that's her walking through, becoming educated, getting an ultrasound, finding out how far along she is. How long does she have to have an abortion? It's a 20-week legal limit in, a, in North Carolina. And so while we're kind of probably appalled by that, it gives her time. And in crisis, time is your friend. You know, it gives you time to wrap your mind around what's happening. And, you know, usually they just kind of feel alone. So if we walk with them and we say, you know, let's just walk together for two weeks and just see what happens. Let's see what we can do for you. Um, You know, and and in that two weeks, they see, oh, they really care. Oh, they are texting me every day. Oh, they did pay that bill. Oh, maybe there's hope. And, And, you know, coming to terms, I mean, once they get the ultrasound, there's no more maybe I'm not pregnant. Yeah. You know, and so it's almost crisis all over again. Um, and then if they do, you know, we have post-abortion counseling. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, my staff have always had kind of the permission to use my story to say, you know, our, our leader has uh, had an abortion. There's no judgment here. We just want to, to care for you. Mm-hmm. And, and with that, when they're ready to talk about it, which usually isn't very soon thereafter, they may come in to cry once and then kind of move on. Um, but it, it gives them a safe place um, to know that they can come back and, um, and, and really, that's where we can really minister the gospel into there. There's nothing that makes Jesus come alive more than, yeah, I know you killed your yeah. child and he loves you still. Yeah. And, and your child is with him. Are there any resources for post-abortion uh, that you can mention, website resources that you know of, any <sighs> books published? Or is that pretty I've been easy? raising funds for a while, okay. so I might not have the okay. most recent. Okay. Um, but we can we'll, we can we'll mention them tomorrow in and, the training. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let me ask. Um, uh, <clears throat> we've been talking about crisis situations. There's a number of different types of crisis situations that call our attention to the value and the dignity and the worth of human life. A different type of crisis situation that you've mentioned before, Trillia, is that you have experienced four miscarriages. And you've articulated that uh, this experience says something to you uh, about life. Can you talk with us about that a little bit? Sure. So when I got married, um, I had two miscarriages. And the first time, the first miscarriage, I was on my face, flat, depressed, 
But the second miscarriage, I, I just thought, I don't know what you're doing, Lord. And I walked into my doctor's office, and he was um, a lovely man, but <laughs> just kind of blurted out, well, you lost her. And he told us the sex of this baby. And I was only about maybe six weeks or so pregnant. So it was an early miscarriage. But it's at that moment, I had known theoretically, I had understood biblically, but it was at that moment that I, I realized I, I lost a life. It was not just some, um, something that, that medically ha- happened to me, but I, I lost a life. And, um, and it was devastating. And it's interesting that you talk about all the things that we don't talk about in church. Miscarriage is another one. We, I had no idea that this was a potential I knew that people lost children, but I just couldn't fathom it. And um, once I had a miscarriage, women out of the woodwork were coming out, and I realized it's very common, but it's deeply painful. It is deeply painful to lose a child. And there are people definitely on the live stream who have lost children. It is so common to miscarry, but... It again ingrained in my heart that this this wasn't just um, a, a medical thing that happened, but it was a life that was lost. Then I got pregnant again, and um, I remember about ten weeks pregnant. I I started to bleed, and at that point, I thought we're going to lose Weston, but we didn't. He is. I have a son who's ten, and he's precious and wonderful. And there is something about losing a child that. Um, g- makes this gift of children just so mm-hmm. much greater. I, I, I think, at least in my own heart, I just, they're precious, and I, I understand them as, this, as a gift. And then I had two more miscarriages, and we thought we were done. And then, surprise, <laughs> I had a child, and she's now seven. So the Lord just really, I think, um, he, he just, he re- I guess he reinforced the value of life through those miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And because I mourned, I mourned a death and it was a death of a child. So I understood. But even recently I have a friend who, um, who miscarried at 21 weeks. And you were saying that the, in the state of North Carolina, mm-hmm. you can abort at up to 20, 20. weeks. Mm-hmm. And she gave birth and got to hold her baby. And at 21 weeks, fully formed child just not viable for breathing and living on her own and um and so there is something that is i just thank god for technology i thank god that women can see babies through through ultrasounds i thank god for these for um that my my friend was able to give birth and that your your um the people you were pastoring were able to give birth um so that we can see that the that because it is kind of this mysterious mm-hmm. thing when you're not showing or you're not, but but there is that that I knew at six weeks that our second child was a girl is pretty miraculous, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, it's 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 a miracle, but that's because life right. life God God created her and mm-hmm. knit her in my womb. And though it didn't last for long, that was his doing. And so, um, so I, I do, I pray that churches would also be equipped in this, in caring for those who are pregnant and who miscarry, in this desire to have a whole life, pro-life ethic, for us to be holistically pro-life. We must think of the women who are pregnant and who lose children um, as well. Yeah, so, you know, before we go to a final round of questions, let's talk about resources. We've got a number of folks who uh, would like to do some reading. Um, you know, maybe, maybe these are electronic or hard copy books or maybe videos. What are some resources that you would recommend? So just uh, jump in. I'll start. I work, <laughs> easy enough. I work for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention. The ERLC is a wonderful resource. We actually have a conference coming up in 
well, tomorrow, it begins <laughs> Thursday, but um, called Evangelicals for Life. So if you visit our website, ERLC.com, you will see loads of resources on this topic. And I had the pleasure of editing a book called Women on Life, and it is a holistic view of life. So we talk about the unborn, the single mom. We've got to care for these mothers who are single mothers to step, to step families to the elderly, so we're seniors, senior adults, and how do we care for the gamut? We wanna care for all of life and not just the unborn, though that is essential and very incredibly important, but what happens when that woman actually has the baby? How are we gonna care for her as a church? So I would encourage you to check out ERLC.com and also Women on Life if you have a chance. Okay. Well, for those of you who are here, I would say come to the training tomorrow at 1030 in Idle Auditorium. We're going to talk about that day-to-day. How do you, what do you do in the first 24 to 48 hours after somebody tells you that, she's, that they're pregnant or girlfriend's pregnant or uh, planning to abort? What do you do? What do you not do? Um, also, how can we practically minister to women after that life, through that life decision and then after that life decision and the single moms that are in your church and they're not always single because they had an unplanned pregnancy they're you know divorced widowed all of those types of things and so we're going to talk about that um, tomorrow and try to equip you that way and then I would say go and make disciples with that information you are the biggest resource we have um, that you would go out and that you would um, commit today in your heart that this would not be white noise to you because you grew up in church and it wouldn't be something that you run from because you've been pained by it or that you're afraid of hurting other people let's let's learn together how to do this. Um, it's amazing when you are ministering to a girl and, um, and, and she may not want it and how do you pursue her and, but you keep pursuing her and then, you know, her neighbor gets pregnant and they go, oh, well, Sally over here, these weirdos called Christians kept coming to her and they brought her diapers and meals and, you know, helped her get a job and helped her change her life and her life is better having her baby. I bet these weirdos would help me too. <laughs> You know, and so you, you can change a pocket in a community like that. Um, and then humancoalition.org, uh, we have a pastor's toolkit that we've spun up that is having uh, past uh, preaching resources, uh, sermons, things like that. Uh, we've signed an agreement with the Church of God in Christ uh, for a three-year agreement for them to teach pro-life, and so we're bringing that up for them, and um, it will be open to everybody. And our uh, president, Brian Fisher, has a couple of authored books on that website as well, one specifically for pastors. Great. Dr. Wade, you mentioned... mentioned I mentioned three things, yeah. if I okay. can. Yeah. If you can't be here tomorrow... You're a preacher. Why would you mention yeah, anything other than... If they come in threes. Are these going to be alliterated? Because <laughs> if not, we're kicking you off the stage. It'll take me a moment to alliterate them, so give me a second. Yeah. If, you, if you can't come tomorrow to uh, the, the forum then here's my suggestion to every one of you. Visit a crisis pregnancy center. It will be the best resource that you could ever get in your ministry and for your church. Be a part of it. It'll open your eyes to things that you were not aware of. It will give you the the reality of what's going on. So crisis pregnancy centers. In addition, other other, uh, resources from what, what have already been mentioned here as far as websites, World Magazine, always recommend them. They always do a Roe v. Wade issue in January where the entire issue is, is uh, committed to that, and that's already come out for this year, so pick that up. And uh, then finally, uh, a gentleman by the name of Scott Klusendorf has written a book called The Case for Life, Equipping Christians to Engage the Culture. Uh, probably, in, in my opinion, and I know Dr. Ashford shared this even before, probably the premier book on this issue for you. So grab a copy of that and, uh, and, and read, read it thoroughly. Right. Yeah. Scott also has a couple of videos on there. And, okay. and there's one that is called This is Abortion. Mm-hmm. And it is gr- it, it's, it's hard to watch, um, but I would say you need to. Um, yeah. One of the reasons that abortion is what it is is because it happens behind closed doors. Yeah. Uh, you don't see the victims. You, uh, she can walk past you today and walk into an abortion clinic and come out and walk past you again. You never know. Mm-hmm. And so look mm-hmm. at it. 
look at it in the face. I do about once a year, uh, go to one of those videos, and I just look at it, and I watch that one minute, and it, and it renews my conviction to fight for those who don't have a voice. Mm, that's a great resource. Let me mention a, a couple of other resources. Um, for many of you who are pressed for time, probably all of you, two very brief resources. There's an article entitled, We Shall Not Weary, We Shall Not Rest. It's a transcript of a speech given by Richard John Newhouse. My opinion is the single best anything that I've read or heard on this topic, and really on any social justice issue. It's just a very compelling Christian treatment of, of uh, the pro-life ethic that expands into a whole life pro-life ethic. That can be found free on, uh, online. And then also an essay that's multi-authored entitled The America We Seek. And uh, it's authored by Mary Ann Glendon, Harvard University, Jean Becky Elstein uh, from Chicago, University of Chicago, Elizabeth Fox Genovese from Emory, uh, law professor Robert George from Princeton, and a number of others. It's just a very powerful uh, treatment of how abortion harms society, harms our nation, and why we should work uh, for the pro-life cause. Two books. Peter Kreft wrote a book called The Unaborted Socrates. Now, Kreft, uh, he's a philosophy professor at Boston College. He's got a razor-sharp wit. He's a very good writer, and this is a short book, okay? <laughs> and so those are reasons that you would like to buy this book. Go to Amazon right now. Just click one, the one-click buy. Just buy it and read it, okay? <laughs> um, and then the last book, for those of you who are in, inclined toward uh, more scholarly books, let me recommend Robert George's book, Embryo. Co-authored it with Christopher Tollefson. Uh, Dr. George is one of the premier... Uh, pro-life experts in the world, such a powerful voice, teaches law at Princeton. Embryo is a pretty short book, but it's underlain by rigorous scholarship uh, written by a Princeton professor. So I, I recommend <laughs> that to you. And then finally, uh, as we wrap up, um, just uh, um, you know, quickly, let me ask uh, each of you a question. Trillia, God's given you a voice among evangelicals. People are asking you to write and to speak and so forth. Uh, and you've chosen to use some of your time to edit a book entitled Women on Life. Tell us a little bit about the book. Well, during your research, I just shared a little bit about it, but it is a whole life pro-life mm -hmm. ethic, all, all written out by women from various age ranges and um, experiences, people who are um, just serving in the church, and then people who are professionally, this is what they do. They, they serve... Um, on this topic of pro-life. And so we have, we have a chapter on, for wit, on widows, how to care for widows. We have chapters on for those who are in um, crisis pregnancy situations such as um, miscarriage, etc. We have chapters on caring for those who are seniors and single moms. And so it is broad. And I would really encourage you, if you have a chance, to check that out. It's Women on Life. Because I think one of the things, and we've talked about this already, but um, the church does or has done is made it a political mm -hmm. issue. And my heart and desire in this book was to make it a heart issue and a gospel issue and to take it out of just this political realm and to put it into the hearts of people. Like this is a, this is a way we care for our neighbor. Our call is to love God with all of our hearts and love our neighbor as ourselves. And this is a very practical way that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we aren't just giving you um, a, a theological resource, but a practical guide to, okay, how can we be the, the feet of Jesus, if you want to use that term? How can we practically love our neighbor, our sisters, and our brothers? Because this isn't just for women. There are men who are in sorrow and deep pain as well. So we hope and pray that it serves broadly. Yeah. yeah. Amber, so you have been sought after as a leader of multiple different organizations. You've led at the highest level, been a CEO. So, you know, as we close, as you have other leaders in mind, pastors and Christian leaders, leader to leader, what would you say to them about leveraging their influence? Or, uh, or about wh where there are gaps in the leadership or, or what it is that's needed? Any, anything you want to say? Broad question. Yeah, that's a very broad <laughs> question, Dr. Ashford. Um, <laughs> it's hard to call you doctor when I knew you before you shaved. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> um, in December. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, we're in le- when you have a place of leadership, you have a duty, you have a responsibility, and you particularly have that for the least of these. Um, and so I think it's step back, ask yourself if you are doing that, ask yourself, you know, a- a- you know bo- boldly, ask your local pro-life leader if you're doing everything you can and, uh, and give them permission to be honest with you. Um, because there's, a, there's just so much more that we can do. Um, and I would also say that, that this should be a top-tier issue. This is not one of many causes that are equally, uh, equally important. And I know that's hard to hear. I know it's hard to, dis- to, to decipher who, uh, who you should support, what you should support, what you should teach on. Um, but, you know, right here in our county, over 7,000 children are aborted every year. Um, nationwide, 1.4 million women will walk through the abortion clinic doors or will be abortion determined. Under, just under a million of them will walk through the doors. And, and so um, be bold, you know, like, like, like bring it up to the top. And every sermon that you're doing, say, is there a place in here I could mention the pro-life ethic from womb to tomb, <coughs> mm-hmm. and then do it. <laughs> it's a good start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so great. And then, Stephen, let's narrow in on pastors for a moment. Do you have any takeaways for uh, evangelical pastors? I think, Bruce, I want to go back and just pick, pick up one thing that Amber said and truly hit on it, but um, when, we, when we want to just be silent about this or ignore this issue in the church... Be clear that what you're doing in not addressing the issue with conviction and truth uh, ultimately is diminishing the gospel. Mm -hmm. Because as I said in the beginning, speak with conviction and clarity at the evil and wickedness and sinfulness of abortion. And not to do so is to diminish the gospel and the reason Christ came to die. But also, you must offer grace and hope which is what brought you out of this, there's hope, right. you know, uh, in the gospel. And so we must give that. And so if, if we're not addressing sin, not only in this issue, but in every issue, if we're not showing how does the gospel apply. And what Amber said a while ago was so real in our churches. We go into our churches and we put a mask on. And when sin is exposed in others, we all point at them like, can you believe they did that? When Amber very eloquently said, we're all ugly inside, let's not hide our ugliness because when we do, we diminish the gospel. So my ugliness makes the gospel so much brighter. So do not be silent on the issue. Um, Last thing I'll say is as you're then ministering, shepherding this on a personal level and even even from the pulpit, but I want to speak to the personal. You, you actually have someone that's letting you into their story, which is an incredible privilege to walk beside someone who is sharing with you, this is my hurt, this is the ugliness of my life, or this is the crisis moment that I am in. Uh, I'll give you three words, and I'll be done, and they are alliterated. Uh, love them. Love them without... Uh, stipulation. Love them where they are. Julian Motley was a professor here at Southeastern for so long. He told us as pastoral ministers, love your people where they are, but then love them enough not to leave them where they are. But if you don't love them where you are, you can't move forward. Love them. Secondly, learn their story. Be interested. Don't cut them off short just listening to them and say, well, I know what you need. And start with your truth or your one bit of of soapbox that you know. Listen to them. Learn their story. And then, as you love and learn them, you will earn the right to lead them. And now you lead them to hope. You lead them to different decisions, perhaps. Or you lead them to forgiveness. And um, lead them to a cross and a Savior who will forgive and will use and will restore. So... That, that's what I would say to you. As you think about ministering to them, love, learn, and lead them. Yeah. 
That's a good word. So I've got one last thing to mention. As we talked this morning before uh, this session, we noted that we've emphasized on this panel uh, the pro-life cause in relation to women and to babies and to local churches. But we would be remiss not to mention the pro-life cause in relation to society. I want to take a minute or two right now just to mention the multiple ways that legalized abortion harms American society. It harms it by hurting the baby because it kills the baby. It harms women uh, in that it minimizes, twists, and distorts the calling to motherhood. And it encourages male irresponsibility and sexually predatory behavior. And the last thing that needs to be encouraged in an era of 21st century freely available hardcore porn is male irresponsibility and sexually predatory behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, It hurts men by encouraging that irresponsibility and that predation. And it hurts men by minimizing fatherhood. Legalized abortion in the United States uh, basically states that the father doesn't matter. The father doesn't even have a say uh, in what happens to the life of a baby that he helped to create. Uh, because pregnancy has been redefined, a baby's been redefined as a tumor, basically as a disease that a woman can choose to get rid of. Um, it hurts marriages and families and romantic relationships by destabilizing them, minimizing and twisting fatherhood and motherhood. It undermines justice and equality. No longer can we say justice and equality for all without having a very large asterisk for all of those who have already been born, but not the 60 million who never had a chance to be born. It undermines democracy, because in Roe v. Wade, nine begowned lawyers had a discussion, and a bare majority of them decided that they would circumvent the Constitution and the Constitution's procedure for making a decision of this magnitude, and they decided they would legislate from the bench, bypass the legislature, and bypass the people of the United States and make a ruling from the bench. It undermines the role of mediating institutions by minimizing the importance of family and leaving only two important actors in society, the overweening state that makes all decisions in combination with the isolated individual. And then finally, it hurts society morally, and here's what it teaches us. It teaches us this. When you encounter a problem, and if that problem is a person, you can solve the problem by using lethal violence. Even if the person who's a problem is absolutely and utterly innocent. And then you can justify the lethal violence by sanitizing the language Mm -hmm. and pretending that this is not a human person. And don't think for one minute that there's not a connection between what Dylan Roof did and the abortion industry. Mm -hmm. Because when we have shouted from the rooftops that you can solve a problem with a person, by employing lethal violence. You should not be surprised when lethal violence crops up all over our society as it has been doing in the past few decades and in the past couple years. So we want to affirm Scripture's teaching about the worth and the value of every human being. We want to commit that we will not rest from seeking justice for all humans, born and unborn, and black and brown and white. And I want to conclude by quoting Richard John Newhouse in the essay that I mentioned a while ago, We Shall Not Weary, We Shall Not Rest. And I quote it at length. He said concerning the cause of life, We contend and we contend relentlessly for the dignity of the human person, of every person created in the image and likeness of God, destined from eternity for eternity. Every human person, no matter how weak or how strong, no matter how young or how old, no matter how productive or how burdensome, no matter how welcome or how inconvenient, nobody is a nobody. Nobody is unwanted. All humans are created by God and therefore to be respected, protected, and cherished by us. We shall not weary, we shall not rest until every unborn child is protected in law and welcomed in life. We shall not weary, we shall not rest, until all the elderly who have run life's course are protected against despair and abandonment, protected by the rule of law and the bonds of love. We shall not weary, we shall not rest, until every young woman is given the help she needs, as Amber mentioned, to recognize the problem of pregnancy as the gift of life. We shall not weary, we shall not rest, I would add, until our society recognizes that all lives, black, brown, and white, 
matter to God and should matter to us and will not rest until both political parties recognize that and recognize it consistently. A whole life pro-life ethic. And then back to New House. We shall not weary, we shall not rest as we stand guard at the entrance gates and the exit gates of life and at every step along the way of life bearing witness in word and deed to the dignity of the human person, of every human person. And so this is our conviction and our prayer that God would work in and through our efforts to glorify himself by placing value and dignity on the lives he's created and the lives for whom Jesus shed his blood. Uh, Why don't we pray together as we conclude this morning? Father, we come to you again in the name of your Son, by the enabling power of your Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you have placed us, allowed us to be born, and have placed us in the United States of America at this moment in history. It's not an accident. Uh, We shouldn't be bitter or resent the moment in which you have placed us when we see injustice all around us. One of the greatest of those injustices being the taking of the life of the unborn. Uh, Father, we pray that you will work in and through our efforts, even though we are weak, and even though uh, you know it, it seems such a formidable task. Uh, we pray that you will bring people to us uh, to whom we can minister, uh, that we can help to take care of and to love and to provide for financially, relationally, uh, theologically. Uh, We pray that you will use uh, this college, the college at Southeastern, and this seminary, Southeastern Seminary, and all of us who are here in this chapel or or live streaming or watching this video, that you will use us and uh, somehow allow us to be a part of uh, recognizing the worth and value of the lives you've created. Father, we pray this in the name of your Son, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.